Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. It's a big week in pop culture with one of the biggest movies in the world and one of the biggest shows in the world arriving at the same time. I'm Jeff Braun. Enola Holmes 2 is one of the better sequels I've seen in a while. And I revisited this year's top movie and I completed the Scream 5 pack. The latest offering from the Marvel Cinematic Universe is in theaters this weekend. It's Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Only the most broken people. Can be great leaders. Wakanda Forever is the second Black Panther movie. The first came out in 2018. How was that only four years ago? It feels much longer since then. Of course, we first met T'Challa in 2016 in Captain America Civil War. The first Black Panther movie was a huge hit, even by MCU standards. It pulled in more than $1.3 billion when all was said and done. So, of course, they've made a sequel, even with some very sad business that needs to be dealt with. There will be a funeral for the original Black Panther, played by the late, great Chadwick Boseman, who died of cancer in real life in 2020. No word yet on how exactly the movie will handle the character's death, but it appears there will definitely be a funeral by the looks of the trailer. The trailer also quickly then changes gears to not to the new Black Panther right away, but rather introducing the villain this time around. It's Namor the Submariner, who sometimes goes by other names. His people... They don't call him General or King. They called him Kukul Khan, the Feather Serpent God. Killing him will risk eternal war. He's coming for the surface world. So Namor lives underwater, but he also has little wings on his ankles so he can fly. Not sure what that's about, but we'll find out. He's played by a Mexican actor, Tino Huerta, who I'm not familiar with, but he does look suitably mean for a Marvel villain. And we will, of course, be introduced to the new Black Panther with the smart money betting on his little sister Shuri, played by Letitia Wright. We already saw Doctor Strange and Thor sequels this year from the MCU. They were decent, but a little underwhelming. So here's hoping Black Panther Wakanda Forever can get things back on a better track. We know what you whisper. They have lost their protector. Now is our time to Show them who we are. You excited? I'm quite excited. I got my ticket already. I'm, I'm going this weekend. It's, hopefully it's really good. Yeah, I'm pumped up for this as well. Curious to see uh, what they, what direction they ultimately take Namor in as well, because in the comics he's he's been a hero, he's been an anti-hero, he's been a villain as well, and clearly in this uh, he's being introduced at the very least as an antagonist. But I'm sure by the end of the movie they'll have come to an agreement and you know maybe they'll shake hands or hug it out or whatever they do or... Or maybe he'll just float away with those little uh, like feather ankles that he's got, which is kind of an interesting way to make somebody fly. But what the heck, he lives underwater, so you can write whatever rules you want. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really don't know what to expect from this movie. Um, it's, it's definitely, I mean, with the Chadwick Boseman thing, it 
makes it makes it you know for lack of a better phrase more interesting even though it's you know incredibly sad so it's a it's kind of a kind of a weird situation that they have to deal with and I'm very curious to see how they do that indeed and that I know has been a subject of controversy there have been some including members in his family who wished they had recast the character T'Challa because Chadwick Boseman worked so hard he was so proud to bring that character to life to to now eliminate the character uh, in honor of the actor, for some that doesn't work, and for others it was their way to make the ultimate tribute to the actor and everything that he brought to the role. But with the Marvel multiverse now, there's you know, no, I, I think that leaves the door open for the possibility of a new T'Challa to emerge at some point. So in the meantime, we'll just watch the movie, see what it if it holds up on its own merit, and um, if not, then we'll find out next week what Mr. Braun has to say. Just got to do a quick follow-up on something we discussed last week. Dude, I've got chills. Weird. The Weird Al Yankovic story debuted last week on the Roku channel. Now, on this show, I suggested that you would be able to watch this either through the Roku channel app on your smart television or at the very least on a mobile device or on a laptop or a computer or something like that because that's the information I found, the research I found was quite explicit in saying that. And then after, so I got home after recording the Couch Potatoes on Thursday, I got home, well, turned on my TV, went to look for the Roku app and it's not there. And then I went and downloaded the app on my phone and figured, well, maybe I can watch the Roku channel through the app and then Chromecast it to my television. Nope, it won't let you connect to the Roku channel unless you have a Roku device. So that means that you would need to go out and buy a Roku thing if you don't have one already. I only know a handful of people who have one of these things. I mean, apparently they're great, especially if you have like just a, a standard HD TV, not a smart TV. The Roku little doodad thing will essentially transform your television into a smart TV. But yeah, you basically need a Roku device or a smart, t- smart TV that's actually a smart Roku TV because there are TVs like that out there, which I just, I think this whole thing is stupid. The fact that they, they didn't at least make this movie available for rent because I'm not going to, I think it's like $40 minimum for a Roku. I'm not going out to spend 40 bucks on this thing to just watch one movie. Because my TV is already a smart TV, so I don't need the whatever capabilities Roku brings, regardless of how awesome it might be. But I would have been happy to pay 10 bucks to rent it. Like, I already know a bunch of people who have watched this movie, and they did not use a Roku device. That's all I'm going to say about that. And that's, I think, what they're just creating here, is they're... Instead of getting people to buy the device, they're just going to create send a whole bunch of people to the you know darker corners of the web to find a way to watch the movie. And I'd rather not do that, but I do want to see the movie. So I was sad this weekend. But I did end up watching something else, which made me very happy. We'll tell you about that a little bit later on. And you know what? Why don't we just press pause here? Because we mentioned the biggest movie, one of the biggest movies of the year. That was Wakanda Forever. Up next, Netflix has one of the biggest shows of the year. Out this week, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brad, he's Jeff, we are The Couch Potatoes. This week on Netflix, one of the big guns is back. And it's not without controversy. We're talking about season five of The Crown. 
the royal family is in genuine crisis. Have royal scandals damaged the country's reputation? The House of Windsor should be binding the nation together, setting an example of idealized family life. It's a situation that cannot help but affect the stability of the country. For years, I've called for a more modern monarchy that reflects the world outside. I don't think it's my behavior that's threatening its survival. You, as future king, have a duty. People will never understand how it's really been for me. I never stood a chance. So the hit show is inspired by the real-life royal family. So right there, kind of weird timing given the death of Queen Elizabeth II in early September. It is a fictional dramatization telling the story of Queen Elizabeth II through the decades. It's also got a new cast. The first two seasons had the same cast, and then they changed in seasons three and four as the characters got older, and now they've changed the actors again as the show enters the 90s. Imelda Staunton plays the Queen. Jonathan Price plays Prince Philip. Dominic West plays Prince Charles. And Elizabeth Debicki plays Princess Diana. Johnny Lee Miller plays Prime Minister John Major, and in case you're wondering, the death of Princess Diana will be covered in season six, which is in production now. This season focuses on what may be the family's biggest challenge to date, proving their continued relevance in the 90s, especially since Charles and Diana are miserable in their marriage. Remember the one condition, the one rule. You remain loyal to this family. Do we sign it? Yes, it's a system. For better or for worse, we're all stuck in it. It feels it's all about to erupt. Eventually they wage a media war and these cracks begin to damage the foundation of the House of Windsor. Now, Season 5 debuts Wednesday, November 9th on Netflix. Kind of a weird date uh, midweek, but okay. I've not seen any of it yet. I have seen the first four seasons, though, and I really like those four seasons. I mean, yes, it's a fiction, so you can't take anything you see uh, at least as far as private conversations go, as being true. But the show does still help to give insight into the difficult and dysfunctional life of this family. Season 5 is getting okay reviews. At last check, it was at 69% on Rotten Tomatoes, well past below, uh, well below past seasons. And it's taking a lot of flack for inventing conversations and events, more so than in the past, like this from the New York Times. The main objection so far is that it is wrong to suggest, as the first episode does, that Prince Charles, played by Dominic West, ever tried to persuade the Prime Minister to force his mother to abdicate so he could take her place. Stirred into rare public indignation, Major, who left the premiership in 1997 and is now 79, issued a statement denouncing the suggestion that any such conversation took place as a barrel load of nonsense. So, you can take that for what it's worth. If you're a fan of the show, no doubt you're probably going to be checking this out. I know I am going to take a peek because I quite enjoyed those first four seasons, much to my surprise. I was shocked at actually how sort of hooked I got on it. It's a bit more complicated than you might think. So, The Crown, season five, out Wednesday, November 9th on Netflix. And also out this weekend, if you're excited about the uh, debut of Season 5 of Yellowstone this weekend, we've got some news. You're going to have to sign up for Paramount+. Plus. The first four seasons streamed in Canada on Prime Video, and they will remain there. But the new season won't be on Prime. The show is jumping to Paramount Plus in Canada for Season 5. That's a streaming service that was just launched in March of 2021. And I... I sent an email to Prime Video just to confirm. I was like, so you're definitely telling me that 
season five won't be on Prime Video, and they said that is correct, sir. So it's one of those things, you know, where Paramount did not have a streaming outlet in Canada when Yellowstone began, so they leased the show to Prime Video. But now they've got their own streamer, and, of course, the new stuff, uh, they want to keep it for themselves, so it won't be on Prime. If you're a diehard fan, you'll have to sign up for Paramount+. Plus. I really like the show. But I don't like it so much that I'm adding to my monthly streaming bill. And honestly, you know, because of the soapy nature of the show, it's, a, for lack of a better uh, description, it's a cowboy version of Downton Abbey. It kind of gets more ludicrous as it's been going along because it has to, because that's the nature of uh, soap operas. So credulity is continually stretched thin, and uh, it's wearing itself out a little bit in my estimation. I mean... I think I just talked myself out of watching it, at least for now. I suspect I will return to it one day. But for now, if you are excited about Season 5 of Yellowstone this weekend, you're going to have to sign up for Paramount+. Plus. So that's too bad for fans of Yellowstone. Now, one good thing I watched this past week, the game once again is afoot as Sherlock's sister returned to Netflix in Enola Holmes 2. My name is Enola Holmes. I started a detective agency. How old? You're a girl. Tell me. Yes? Might your brother be free? My brother? Well, I have not a single case. Sherlock's latest seems to be vexing him. Millie Bobby Brown once again plays the sister of Sherlock Holmes, who's played by Henry Cavill. This time, her case will take her from a match factory to the halls of power in London. Now, you don't need to be a detective to figure out that Enola Holmes 2 is a sequel to Enola Holmes, which was released two years ago. We were talking about that last week, and I think it actually makes this the first thing that's a sequel to something that only began after the pandemic started. I don't know if that counts as a category. Time has gotten extremely fuzzy the last couple of years. Enola Holmes 1 was a lot of fun. According to the notes I took, I honestly don't remember a whole lot of it. And that's good news and bad news when it comes to Enola Holmes 2. It does rely a little on things we saw in the first movie, mostly pertaining to returning characters, at which I drew a blank. But overall... It did not hurt my enjoyment too much, and there's a lot of enjoyment to be had. I had a blast watching Enola Holmes, too. She's established her own detective agency in London, but like we heard in the clip, every time a client comes in, they ask if they can see her much more experienced and famous older brother, Sherlock. However, one day, a young girl walks through the door and says her sister has gone missing, and that's the, ta the case that Enola takes. Uh, this girl and her sister both worked at a match factory where girls have been dying because of typhus. The old man that owns the factory appears to be this horrible, greedy man, and Enola begins to believe that maybe the sister who's gone missing may have discovered some corruption, and that's why she disappeared. Her investigation has her running into some familiar faces, not the least of which is Tewksbury, her love interest from the first movie. We also see her mom again, and who was a, an activist on the run from the law. She's played by Helena Bonham Carter. We see Inspector Lestrade, and of course, Sherlock, and I was surprised how much Sherlock was in the movie. It's not just a little cameo. He's a big part of the movie. He's been working his own case, uh, something to do with banking and finance, and maybe there's a connection between the two Holmes uh, siblings' cases. The writing was clever. It's a good mystery with a lot of ins and outs. There's some red herrings. There's some things that we, the audience, can figure out. There's some things that only a Holmes could figure out. The pacing is very fast. The movie bops around quickly, but not so fast that you can't keep up. Uh, but you definitely won't get bored. There's also a chopping editing style a lot of the time that is, you know, partly stylish, but it also helps speed a lot of things along. There's room for action. There's comedy. There's drama. Just a little bit of everything. It all meshes well together. It's visually stylistic, and they do a good job of uh, kind of visualizing her solving clues along the way. 
when she puts something together and figures out what must have happened. We see a lot of it in uh, sketches that are animated to life, and that helps helps us keep track of what's going on for one thing without having to you know rerun stuff we've seen before and it probably saved them some money because they didn't have to shoot these other scenes to show that stuff and of course at the center of everything is this performance from millie bobby brown her enola is a lot different than her stranger things character enola is a talker for one and that includes a lot of talking to the camera she breaks the fourth wall which you know helps keep us the audience involved in the story too she's an impressive young actress She's already shown a lot of talent and a range of talent. So uh, I think she's really doing a good job trying to launch a proper long career and not just be a, a kid actor, one hit wonder kind of deal. Nola Holmes too will definitely help. It's a home run, an engaging mystery, well told with style and energy, a fun ride for everyone. It is a little long at two hours and 10 minutes, but it's not that big of a gripe Four couch cushions out of five for Nola Holmes too on Netflix. And in a moment, does the biggest movie of the year so far hold up at home? You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I finally decided because I've been seeing ads for the 4K Blu-ray. It actually was released on that format on October 31st, but it's been available for rent on digital since the end of August. And I had been holding out to get the Blu-ray, but I figured, you know what? Uh, I don't feel like going out to the store right now to buy it, but I'll spend five bucks or six bucks or whatever it was, to rent this. For reasons known only to the Almighty and your guardian angel, you've been called back to Top Gun. Sir? You are dismissed, Captain. The end is inevitable, Maverick. Your kind is headed for extinction. Maybe so, sir. But not today. Top Gun Maverick. A movie I saw twice in theaters. The first time, I think... Um, oh, I can't remember the format, but the second time was... Uh, IMA- it was like... No, it wasn't IMAX. It was the other one. The Ultra AVX, and it was a D-Box seat. And it was... The, one of the greatest, if not the greatest cinematic experience I've ever had. It was so exciting. It was the perfect movie for that D-Box seat. Those are the seats that rumble and kind of move and shift and turn with you to amplify the action on screen. So I've been wondering, how is this going to hold up at home? Yeah, I got myself a bigger TV in the last couple of years. And it's great. I love it. And yes, I have surround sound headphones that I can watch so I can watch movies loud in my apartment. But it's just not the same. It's never the same. You know, you get home and you're like, oh, that was good. But it's not the same. And you're not you know, sitting, sitting by myself watching this movie as opposed to watching it in a packed theater. And because so many people went to see this movie, $716 million domestically, $1.4867 billion worldwide. It is a monster, monster hit, and I'm pleased to report that it is just as exciting at home as it was in the theater. Uh, obviously, it doesn't hit as hard on the sound front, depending, well, pardon me, didn't hit me as hard. I don't have the kind of surround speaker system that I would like to have because I just can't, otherwise I'd get evicted uh, if I had a, a 
my ho- a house or if I lived in a building that had thicker walls, maybe. And maybe one day, if I can move into a place like that, then I will go out and buy a different stereo just so I can enjoy this movie that much because I rented it on Prime Video. Weird pricing, by the way, on this. I checked YouTube. It was $8.99 there. I checked my Shaw cable. I think it was $6.99. And it was only available in HD through my cable. But then on Prime, it was $5.99. I think it was $5.99. It was $4.99 or $5.99, whatever. And uh, it was available in 4K. So I went through Prime. You get it for 48 hours. And it was awesome. And I am definitely going to go out and pick up the 4K Blu-ray because that will no doubt have some insightful extras as well. And, um, yeah, it was just as thrilling. I found myself having the same panic that same sort of like almost bordering on hyperventilation when they finally take out, like take on their mission when they go out to complete the mission and then everything goes insane. And uh, yeah, it hit just as hard. I couldn't believe it. I ended up watching it twice over the weekend and I wanted to watch it a third time. And then I thought, no, don't, don't burn yourself out in this movie because you want to enjoy the Blu-ray, the 4k when you get it. Oh, a weird note about the 4k, by the way, apparently it, with that disc, you just get the 4K. So, like, because you often get the 4K and it comes with a Blu-ray, but in this, apparently, you just get the 4K. So, if uh, you go out to buy it, make sure that if you you, just, you need a Blu-ray, make sure you get the Blu-ray as opposed to the 4K uh, UHD disc. I guess is technically what it's called. But uh, yeah, so Jeff, uh, you gonna see this? You gonna get the Blu-ray? Uh, it's on my Christmas list, so I don't know. I, I, I hope I do get the Blu-ray. We'll find out in the, come December 25th. I'll get back to you on that one. How many times did you see it in, on the big screen? I saw. I went by myself the week it came out just for, for our purposes, for the show here. And then, yeah, it was really good. We gave, both gave it the five couch cushions out of five. And uh, I know my girlfriend's kids and her kids all like Top Gun 1. So I said, hey, guess what, gang? We going to the movies Friday night. And uh, we took them all and we all saw it. And uh, six out of six of us all loved it. The oh, nine-year-old yeah. said it was a little bit too long. <laughs> you know, that's the one thing I would say. Like, as I found myself with some of the stuff in between thinking, eh, they could probably do without this scene. And, and not just because I've already seen it. But, yeah, it's just, it was so much fun just to rewatch this movie again and, and to enjoy the fact that it's an unabashed crowd pleaser and I love it. I love it so much. Uh, awesome movie. And I confirm that the sectional, the five couch cushions out of five still holds upon the rewatch. Speaking of rewatches, I also, you know, I've been re- revisiting scary movies over the last few weeks. And last week I mentioned that I watched Scream 1 and 2 and then I wanted to watch Scream, the 2022 version, or Scream 5. and uh, But then I thought, do I, if I watch Scream 5, though, should I watch Scream 3 and 4 first? And I don't really have fond memories of those, so I, I figured maybe I could get away with it. I ended up watching all three of them. I just watched them out of order. So I started with the one from 2022. Hello? It's happening. Three attacks so far. Do you have a gun? I'm Sydney Prescott. Of course I have a gun. Hello, Sydney. It's an honor. Sidebar, when you uh, live alone and you watch three Scream movies, you find yourself talking like Ghostface quite a bit. Like, I need to 
cut some lettuce or I need to refill my drink. Hello, Captain Bacardi. Um, but uh, I, so anyway, first, uh, how did I watch this movie? I signed up for the trial for Paramount Plus. You get seven days for free, and I really got to remember to cut this thing off because I was not impressed with the service overall, like the the selection of things. I know that they're adding to it. They, they've got, as Jeff pointed out, they've got Yellowstone Season 5, and it looks like there's a new series called Tulsa King that starts on the 13th, and they're going to have more movies like The Lost City and Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and uh, I guess they're going to have uh, Top Gun Maverick will be one of the selections available for streaming. But uh, I didn't care for it enough to, to keep it, so I watched... Scream 5, Scream 3, and Scream 4, and then I'm going to get out of there. But as far as uh, the new one goes, I really liked it. Uh, first no, first observation, easily the most violent of the five movies. Like, it actually had some, some uh, graphic and gory kills. We've seen people murdered, obviously, throughout this whole series, but a lot of the gore is implied or it's off screen. Even some of the kills are off screen, but in this, it, it's right up in your face. There were a couple of scenes where I was, where I thought, oh, oh, they're actually doing this. Oh my God. Cause you just, you don't expect that kind of graphic sort of Michael Myers violence from a scream movie. So that was interesting, but it was just, they found a way to have a fresh spin and, and to f- tap into new things to poke fun at. Like the fact that they called themselves scream, just like the new Halloween movie, which was treating itself as sort of a sequel to the original, was still called Halloween. So they were like, come on, just call yourselves ha- Scream 5 already. And uh, they, I've never heard the term requel. So it's uh, we've heard legacy sequel. Well, they're calling it a requel, where it's kind of like a reboot, but it's a sequel at the same time. So I really enjoyed Scream 5. And then I thought, you know what, since I'm here... I'm going to go back and rewatch Scream 3. What do you know about trilogies? All I know about movie trilogies is that in the third one, all bets are off. Hello, Sydney. Welcome to the final act. Not as bad as I remember. I still don't like it as much as Scream 1 and Scream 2. And I think the main reason I didn't care for it as much is because they changed the setting. Like, I liked... I like the the scary movies that are set in small town USA and in Scream there's it's set in this place called Woodsboro, Illinois, I believe is the state and it's got rolling hills and you know your typical big old houses and season 3 is set in LA and everything about it is gaudy. And it's that's by design. It's meant to be overly opulent to the point that it's just gross. And uh, I just, I didn't care for the setting change, but having watched it again now, I sort of get it because they're not just, they're also satirizing Hollywood itself and Hollywood's uh, sort of need to be over the top. And they also tackle a pretty hard issue of the things that women have had to go through over the years to try to enjoy success in Hollywood and the things they have to do behind closed doors, the things they have to endure behind closed doors. So it was definitely worth a revisit. I'm glad I did. And it's changed my opinion for the better. Still not one of my, not my favorite of the series and uh, scream Four, I think may have gone actually the opposite direction. I hear you like horror movies. It's for you. 
Or maybe not the opposite direction, but more about the same. Because I, I remember enjoying Scream 4, but not loving it. Like, I went to the theater, had fun watching it, and then just sort of forgot about it. And that's kind of how I felt after watching it this time around. I, I still enjoyed it. And uh, I enjoyed the satire they had because it was made in 2011. And they seem to be almost ahead of the curve in terms of everyone's need to live stream and, and capture everything. There was this kid who was walking around with a headset just recording everything. And he was live streaming everything. And I thought, wow, they have like a crystal ball for that, given everyone's need to stream their entire lives now. But uh, as, a, as just as a series, as a whole, it's awesome. And I would still go Scream 1, number 1. I'd have to watch the new one again, but I almost put would almost put number 5 at number 2. And then uh, Scream 2, number 3, uh, 3, number 4, and I guess 4, number 5. So there you go. I did see one article that had Scream 2 as the number 1, and then Scream 3 as number 2. And I thought, that's blasphemy. Come on now. Get out of here. Up next, Jeff Braun is going to revisit what I think is actually his favorite television show of all time. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and I rewatched an old favorite this week, the 2001 HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers. We are on the eve of the largest action in history of warfare. It's Normandy. We all do our jobs. Everything will be fine. We're all scared. What made you decide to join the paratroopers? Fire! And I wanted to fight with the best, sir. I usually do my uh, Band of Brothers rewatch around uh, D-Day in June, but sometimes around Remembrance Day, which is why I started watching it again this week. Band of Brothers came to us from producers Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks three years after they teamed up on Saving Private Ryan, which, of course, relaunched and reinvented, really, the war movie as a genre. Up until then, war movies didn't really depict how brutal war actually was, at least not World War II movies. I guess a lot of Vietnam movies were quite graphic. But, of course, the... D-Day section of Saving Private Ryan was this jaw-dropping sequence of pure horror, and the whole movie embodied uh, the war is hell side of things. And Band of Brothers really continued and actually expanded on what Saving Private Ryan was doing, and frankly, I think Band of Brothers did it a lot better. The scope of Band of Brothers, for starters, is much bigger. It follows uh, this company of soldiers, Easy Company, of the uh, 506 PIR 101st Airborne from when the company was formed at a base in Georgia. They go through D-Day together, the Holland Campaign, the Battle of the Bulge, and all the way into Germany, and then ending with the capture of Hitler's Eagle's Nest in the Austrian Alps. It's 10 episodes, each is an hour or so in length, and many of them sort of focus on one specific soldier, but of course they all feature most of the main guys, and there are a couple of dozen main guys. Obviously, they don't all make it to the end. When it first aired, I recognized three actors. Ron Livingston, who was in the movie Swingers and Office Space, Donnie Wahlberg, who of course we knew from New Kids on the Block, and he was in The Sixth Sense, and David Schwimmer, who was uh, Ross from Friends. He's in it. Now, uh, all these years later, we know Damian Lewis, who played the lead character, we know Michael Cudlitz from uh, Southland and The Walking Dead. We know Dexter Fletcher. He's a director. He made Rocket Man and uh, finished making Bohemian Rhapsody. And Scott Grimes has been in a lot of things, as is Neil McDonough. Michael Fassbender and Tom Hardy are also both in this series. They have much, much smaller roles, but they are in multiple episodes and have a few lines. And there are just a ton of other recognizable faces, sort of uh, any British actor who was around 20 years old 
20 years ago is in Band of Brothers somewhere probably. Maybe the best thing about the series, though, is the interviews with the real-life soldiers in modern day. Uh, Old men uh, telling stories, reliving the war, many of them never having spoke publicly about it before, and a lot of them, you know, tearing up when they remember losing their friends. Every episode begins with a a minute or two of a few of these guys talking about whatever the theme of that particular episode is about, whether it be just a battle that they were doing, or there's one that's called one episode that's just called replacements. And it's about, uh, you know, people in their company would get shot and killed. And then these replacement soldiers would come in and they'd always be these younger, much greener guys. And the older guys would be like, Oh, this is going to be trouble. And, uh, the replacements were the ones that would usually die first. So these old timers talking about, uh, watching these little, these young guys getting killed is just, it's just brutal, but it's, it's, uh, it's a genius thing that they did to have these guys uh, speak their stories as opposed to just seeing the dramatization of it with the action of the show. Now, the series is available on Crave because it was an HBO thing. Honestly, if you like uh, World War II stuff, this one's worth getting a hard copy of. I've, I've had my DVD set for 20 years now, and I, I love it. It's uh, more than paid It's paid off for itself. I should actually upgrade it to a Blu-ray at some point, but uh, the DVD actually looks really good, too. The whole series is perfect although there's one weird thing there's a there's a jimmy fallon cameo at the end of episode five it's always a little jarring i'm not making it up people i say that and people are like what do you mean jimmy fallon's in it i was like he shows up for a scene and this is while he was on saturday night live so he's like the guy that's giggling through sketches on saturday night all of a sudden shows up in world war ii it was really weird at the time when you first saw it and it's probably just only gotten weirder since then if you've never seen it before but overall like you said brett you were right when you uh said this at the end of the last segment for my money band of brothers is still the greatest show to ever have been on television and it's like it's out there on crave right now you should check it out or just uh, buy it on blu-ray if you can still haven't watched it it's on my list of shows to watch eventually every time you talk about it i feel guilty that i haven't made the time taken the time to watch band of brothers but perhaps this of all weeks is the week to do just that that's all the time we've got i'm brett he's jeff we are the couch potatoes remember if it requires getting up off the couch don't bother